and welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines, people working to understand viruses and how they affect you. We are talking with virologists, students and postdocs that belong to the American Society for Virology so that you can learn who they are and what they do. I am Larissa Thackray, and I am hosting this podcast from America's Heartland in St. Louis, Missouri. On August 26, 2021, we talked with Dr. Carolyn Martin, a postdoc in the Killian Lab at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, who studies virus-host interactions that mediate alpha virus assembly and aggress. Carolyn studied how vaccinia virus mediates superinfection exclusion and modulates the host cell cycle during her master's and PhD. Thank you very much for talking with us today. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, thanks a lot for, for having me. Uh, great pleasure. Um, so I guess I'm meant to talk about why I became a virologist. So I'm originally from Switzerland, from a really small town, where I guess the most exciting thing that has happened in the past like 10 years is probably the snack machine by the <laughs> train station. Um, so I kind of made it from there um, to Zurich, um, where I studied interdisciplinary sciences. So this was maybe sort of a bit of a detour because my high school majors were actually arts and languages. So discovered during that that actually I, I prefer <laughs> sciences, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, I studied interdisciplinary sciences, really became interested in, in virology. Um, so also I was really lucky because ETH promoted um, a lot of practical experiences. So I got to well, experience different labs, different research, um, and then, yeah, somehow stuck with virology. Can you, can you actually expand a little bit on how sort of the, ex- the early exposure almost to the practical side of science um, sort of helped you kind of um, gain interest in that? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I, I just really appreciated the, the precise working, yeah, the precise working ethics, I guess, in a, in a lab. Um, I really enjoy being at the bench. I like this whole idea of problem solving, or maybe to put it in a more positive way, um, just to find new avenues to solve um, questions. Um, and I think that's also what drove me into science in the first place. Um, as a kid, I always wanted to become a policewoman because it's like, oh, I want to like solve the riddles and you know, find the treasure, find the bad guys. Um, so I guess that kind of ties in with that. Um, and the practical experience definitely helped a lot because, for example, we had so many lectures on how PCR works. I mean, it's an amazing technology. So you have all these like theoretical background, then you go to the lab and you're like, where's the on button on this machine? So I guess being exposed to the practical side really um, also helped you to decide whether science is actually what you want to do. Because, I mean, obviously there's a lot of theory behind it, but when you come to the lab, it's a very different environment than sitting in a lecture. Um, and personally, I have to say, I way prefer the practical side than the lectures. Um, yeah, it's just very different. I guess also theory like provides you with the background, but then the kind of the mindset on how to design an experiment, the importance of negative and positive controls, for example, that's not something a lecture can really teach you. It's just more learning by doing and making a lot of mistakes, doing a two weeks experiment and then realizing it didn't include the negative control and then well, not being too happy with yourself. <laughs> but um, so yeah, I really appreciate the, the practical experience that um, my university provided us like really from the start. This was at the this was at the undergrad level in a way that you're talking about or at your master's? Yes, that was undergrad level. Yes, so we I was really fortunate in that sense. So we had like guided practicals um, in chemistry and physics. So it was really you had like your PhD um, mentor in a way, and it was very guided. So like you had your exact protocol. You just kind of 
just cooking basically. Um, whereas then we also had this like five months projects, like two of them during the undergrad and two of them during the masters, uh, where you were in an actual lab setting. So you were participating in real research, um, which obviously was also very different than the, you know, the, the training labs. So that was really good as well. And I guess what also really helped me in the long run was just to be exposed to, to failure. I mean, this sounds very negative in a way, but just realizing that in an actual lab, you spend so much time optimizing. And I mean, it's not about how good you are necessarily, it can also be just bad luck, or you have a really brilliant idea, but somehow nature had a different idea, and that's your brilliant idea wasn't how nature really thought of how it works. Um, so that, that was a good experience, I guess. It was also kind of good to see whether you can actually deal with that. Because in the end, if you can't, you're probably better off stopping a bit earlier with the practical research. Right. And so how did you then make it into your master's and your PhD? So how did, I guess, how did you choose those labs? Yeah, so um, I was really fortunate during my undergrad, like I chose an Arnhelenius lab. So we, well, virus lab and then a cytosis lab. And I just really enjoyed the lab atmosphere and the research. Um, so then I continued actually my first master project in the same lab, um, working on RSV. Um, and then I, I want to get some international experience. Uh, so far, all my education was in Switzerland. Um, and I always loved London. So I always loved England, I think, because maybe as a kid, we went there on holiday. So maybe that's why I, I'm not particularly sure, uh, not quite sure, to be honest. <laughs> um, and I was really fortunate because one of the postdocs, um, Jason Mercer, he just got a, his first group leader position at UCL in London and I basically just begged him that I could come along. Um, then I got a, a applied for a scholarship for an exchange, like a former Erasmus program, um, and then got, got that funded so I could do my final year project uh, in his lab in London. So um, that was a very steep learning curve because up to that point I always had a postdoc who was assigned to me and like held my hand <laughs> and really helped me, whereas that was more um, I had to drive the project myself, which is a really good experience, uh, switching viruses as well. Um, and like, yeah, the first time in an international setting. Uh, yeah, it was, was great. So that's how I then transitioned to London. And then for my PhD, I just really loved the project I was working on during my master's. Um, and I really wanted to continue that. So I applied to the to a PhD scholarship um, fellowship at UCL, um, which I was very fortunate to, to get. So then I, that provided me with the opportunity to stay <clears throat> at UCL. And what was the virus you were working on there? Xenia virus. So a pox virus. Yeah, very different, like huge guy compared to R3. <laughs> also great, great tool um, for a lot of different things. A lot easier to manipulate, I came to realize, <laughs> certain other viruses. Um, I guess we were really spoiled in terms of technology we could actually apply. The first project I started working with that actually failed after two years. So we realized it's not feasible which was um, a bit rough in the moment because I mean, it's, it's your baby for was like for two years. I put so many hours in and like, it was really interesting the project. Um, but yeah, it was a good lesson to learn as well. Um, the world didn't end, <laughs> although it certainly felt like that in the moment. Um, and then yeah, I was lucky to find another project within a couple of months where I could become equally interested in um, learning a completely different side again. Because I think that's the other side I really appreciate about virology is not just the virus. It's always interact interaction with the cell, with the organism, with the host. So you never really know where the research leads you. I mean, up to that point, cell cycle, for example, so that was what I was working with in the end. Um, that was kind of the book chapter during uh, university. I was just like, oh no, 
too many CDKs. <laughs> so then, uh, yeah, I got thrown into that. I had to learn about the CDKs and I'm really glad I did because it was actually really interesting. How did you then sort of get into your postdoc? So the next stage, what was the process like for that? Yeah, um, so one consideration was I really wanted to stay in academia. So I knew um, I wanted to stay at the bench in academic research. So I was looking only for postdocs, not for industry positions. Um, originally, I was looking more around in Europe, just because that's where I'm from. Um, but then I went to a couple of conferences where I presented my work and just tried to get in touch um, with other PIs. Um, I also got a feeling for what research is out there at the moment. And I was very lucky that I got um, to know um, Dr. Marco Killian, so my current PI. Um, and actually, how was that? Yeah, so that my former uh, PhD, like a second mentor, he is a former co a colleague of Margaret's, so they, he suggested I should look into her lab, which I did. She had an open position, so um, I interviewed for that, and it just seemed like a great fit. Um, different virus, but I wanted to say neurology, but expand my skill set a bit, um, try out a different virus, different technology as well. Um, so that, that seemed great. Um, yeah, and I was very lucky that <laughs> she also thought it might be a good fit. So that's when I then decided to, to move here. Great, great. And can you tell us a little bit about your labs or sort of what stage of um, that your PI is at, maybe how big the lab is, kind of what it's like working as a postdoc there? Yeah, so it's a really great working environment. I really like it. Um, Margaret is an awesome mentor, like she really takes time for the postdocs, especially. So we're currently a postdoc only lab. So we're we just got the fourth postdoc, so we're four postdocs and the technician. So I guess it's fairly medium scale. Um, but it's great because you, yeah, you get a lot of um, input from Margaret, which I really appreciate. Um, and in terms, I mean, she's she's a very senior professor, well established, and so she definitely knows <laughs> knows the viruses in and out, um, which is good for me as well because I have not such a strong background in RNA virology, so I'm learning from the best. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I remember Margaret from ASV talking about flaviviruses even before West Nile actually had hit the United States. So, yeah, so currently we're mostly alpha viruses um, focused, but also some rubella. So, yeah, quite. It's also nice to have different viruses in the same lab. Um, I was used to like a single virus lab, which obviously, if you have multiple viruses, you just are exposed to more information and knowledge, which is great. <laughs> so, yeah, I really like it. And can you, so can you tell us a little bit of then about what you're working on, um, maybe discussing sort of the types of experiments, the types of reagents that you're using in your study, and then maybe some of the main, main findings so far? Yeah, so I started just before the pandemic, so unfortunately <laughs> I was out of the lab for a bit, so I'm still in the kind of gearing up process. Um, but mostly I'm interested in uh, virus-host interactions, so the, the main focus is on what part of the cell, which, which cell pathways does the virus needs to exit the cell um, and to assemble. So that's, yeah, the main focus. So in, currently we're in a stage of mostly method development um, and building the tools to actually address the questions. So that's uh, fuck, uh, luckily going really well, fortunately. So uh, yeah, just in a stage of, yeah, putting all the different pieces together for doing the main experiment. Uh, in terms of technologies, it's all across the board. So we're a cell culture lab. We're not doing animal experiments. Um, so a lot of cell culture work, um, also genetic um, tools. So like, for example, if we want to make a new report of virus, it's a lot of cloning, successful and less successful sometimes. So um, yeah, the one which I 
found to work in the end was Gibson cloning, so uh, restriction enzyme cloning didn't do the trick. Um, but I guess, yeah, cis independent. Then sRNA is certainly something we're currently looking into and CRISPR, so for knockout cells. Um, other technologies. Yeah, so we just started a collaboration doing mass spectrometry. Um, yes, it's, uh, I really like it's such an innovative lab. So we have a wide range of um, technologies available in the lab. And if they're not already available um, um, at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, it's such a huge um, college that we have so many different collaborators and techniques at hand and really amazing core facilities. So that's a big luxury. Um, so my, my favorite um, technology or analysis method is flow cytometry. Um, I guess I know everyone in the lab because I'm always like, why don't you do it with flow cytometry? Um, we also do a lot of imaging. So I have kind of two projects um, kind of focusing on different aspects of viral dissemination. Um, one is mostly microscopy based. So I get to do a lot of staining and counting. Um, but it's also, it's great because like, it's very um, versatile having two projects and they kind of complement each other nicely in terms of technology. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, what alpha viruses you're using, and then maybe talk, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit about sort of egress and dissemination. So a lot of times we think about virus infection, and we're always focused on like entry and receptors and binding, but obviously viruses have to get out of a cell. So it, talking a little bit more generally about that process and how your work sort of fits into uh, trying to understand that. Yeah, so to, to answer the first part of the question, which alpha viruses we're using, so we're a BSL2 lab, so um, we're handling the kind of the model system virus, um, some leaky forest virus. We also have Simpis virus. Then we have an attenuated version of chikungunya, so the, what is called the vaccine strain, but it's not actually the vaccine strain, so 181.25. Yeah, these are the main ones I'm currently using um, for that project. And we're kind of looking at um, egress factors or pathways that are required for all three of them. So it's, we're not interested in kind of, say, a tissue culture adaptation of one particular virus, but we're really interested in like what is important for the virus group. And then we also use BLP system. So this is just virus-like particles where it just expresses structural proteins. There we can also use uh, clinical strains for chikungunya, for example, which I'm using in my other project um, because they're not replication competent, obviously. So there's uh, no need for BSL3. And then your second question was the egress part. Um, yeah, I guess entry in a way is probably a bit easier to study because say if you do a genetic screen or like an sRNA screen, you're always gonna hit the first block or gonna find identify the first block um, of your factor, which is entry usually. Um, and there's so many tools available to study entry as well. Whereas I guess egress is a bit harder because it's kind of, I mean, there's so much viral protein going on uh, or like being expressed at that point in the cell already that it's kind of hard to uh, distinguish, for example, is it an incoming particle, is it an outgoing particle? But I mean, in a way it's, it's kind of assembling Lego blocks that have to find each other somewhere in the cell um, and then they package into the right structure and then being released from the cell to different mechanisms. I mean, the first step is, Say in our case, there's a viral protein called capsid, which interacts with the RNA. So it hasn't been known for a long time how actually the capsid protein specifically finds the viral RNA and packs the exactly one copy. So a previous a work from a previous postdoc from uh, Dr. Rebecca Brown, um, she identified part of the mechanism how this actually happened. So very exciting. Um, this is the first step, and then in, in case of alpha viruses, you have assembly as a, like finding of the core or like assembly of the core um, with the RNA and then assembly with the, the glycoproteins and the, the envelope. So it's not known how the core, for example, finds 
the envelope, the other patches where the glycoproteins are embedded in the uh, plasma membrane, uh, how it's being transported there, how then the actual egress part happens, so the um, enveloping of the core uh, and budding from the plasma membrane. So these are all pathways where we're really uh, interested in. I guess it's when you look at the, like a, a chart of a virus infection, wherever the arrows are is kind of where you probably want to look a bit more into because that's where we don't know how to, what to draw. So. Right, right. And then just to go into a little bit more detail, so the virus is like assembling in the cytoplasm and then moving to the plasma membrane to meet its envelope proteins. Is that correct? So since egg egress is sort of an essential part of the viral life cycle, um, is it a part of the viral life cycle that's amenable to sort of antiviral molecules thinking about, you know, sort of therapeutics and stuff like that? I guess in terms of uh, like antivirals, it's always easiest to prevent the virus from replicating in, uh, as in like from multiplying, whether this is at the entry step or the replication step, just, just prevent it from coming out of the cell more than it came into into it. Um, so definitely it's, it's a step that would be amenable to, uh, for antivirals. And I guess it's in terms of uh, preventing viral escape mutations, it's easiest or best to target the cellular component. Um, that would also be great, for example, for drug repurposing. So, I mean, this is just free, freely hypo uh, associated here, but say if we need microtubules for egress and there's a microtubule inhibitor which is already, say, licensed for as an anti-cancer drug, then we could potentially repurpose a drug just as an antiviral at a different dosage, but that would be streamline and speed up the development of antivirals. And then can you talk a little bit about, so you obviously as a postdoc spend a lot of time in the lab. What do you do when you're not in the lab? <laughs> and I guess, you know, maybe talk a little bit about how that's changed in the past year, year and a half with the pandemic situation. Yeah, so I, I moved to New York just before the pandemic. So I haven't really had time to establish, you know, like a new life kind of here before the pandemic hit. Um, but I, I really like playing sports in my free time. So I was really lucky that um, one of my colleagues introduced me to the local, like to the school's volleyball team. Um, so they were maybe not as lucky because I'm terrible. <laughs> so uh, steep learning curve there as well. But yeah, they kept me sane during the pandemic. I mean, in the beginning we couldn't play um, then. Now we started playing at the beach, so that's it's great um, for the entry some weeks. So yeah, I, I like to keep active when I'm not in the lab. Um, and you know, kind of the regular things like meeting friends, you know, going out, obviously this has been limited during the past year, but uh, looking forward to it becoming a bit more normal. Um, going to concerts, um, going to play. So I went to free uh, Shakespeare in the park. So uh, first Central Park experience, that was great. Do you still have family back um, back home, as it were? Um, and what's it been like, if, if you do, to be sort of here um, during a pandemic when they're there? Yeah, so yeah, all my family's back in Switzerland. Um, I mean, it, yeah, it was an adjustment. I mean, I was used to not being, not living with my family or in the same country because I did my PhD in London, but obviously it's very different during a pandemic. Um, also having the Atlantic in the middle, <laughs> it's different. I guess it just, made seem distance seem more real because before you kind of just you take flying for granted you take travel for granted and I guess I just realized like if something happened I, I couldn't be there in a, in a blink so that was a bit tough on the other hand um, I knew my, my parents for example they were being really sensible about not exposing themselves too much and Switzerland like fortunately wasn't hit that badly and like my parents are not in a big city, so at least in that sense, it was uh, that was good to know. 
um, I guess, yeah, my sky frequency definitely increased <laughs> or zoom frequency. Uh, so, I mean, technology helped a lot in that sense. At least it didn't feel that remote. Um, but yeah, it was, was different. And not seeing them for an entire year, yeah, was was not the easiest experience maybe. But um, I mean, we I said by in January, like with expectation they will come in like four months time, you know, so we were like, yeah, kind of bye, see you later. Uh, but later turned into a year. Um, but yeah, I was really fortunate that I could get a, a travel exemption over Christmas and go back home. I mean, obviously it was a lot of quarantining and plastic everywhere, <laughs> but you know, I mean, really grateful for that. Um, and how are they doing there now? So obviously the U.S. is not doing so great right now in the middle of a, a huge Delta surge, especially in the South and um, Southeast, Southwest. Um, but how, how is Switzerland doing? Yeah, overall, I mean, it's, it's the same picture, like Delta is on the rise, um, but they seem to be, in terms of actual numbers, they seem still to be doing okay. I mean, also an increase, but from what I hear, it's not such an overwhelming surge at the moment. So that's, it's glad, glad to hear. <laughs> And um, I know we always sort of like, um, there's, you know, issues with vaccination and vaccine access. How is Switzerland doing with, uh, with that? Yeah, so from what I heard from my parents in the beginning, the rollout was fairly slow. Um, honestly, I'm not sure whether this was more due to logistics or actual uh, vaccine sourcing, um, but they were catching up now. So most of my friends also in their like um, early 30s, 20s um, are vaccinated with two doses. So I think from what I hear at least, everyone who wants to get the vaccine could or can get it at the moment. So it's more a matter of if people want to get the job or not than actual access. Um, and then I guess just to finish up, so you're obviously early in your postdoc, but thinking forward, what, what are you sort of uh, thinking about? Are you wanting to continue in academics? Do you want to do an industry? Um, do you have any sort of thoughts about it at this time? So currently I'm still very much um, set on the academic path. Um, I just really like Ben's work. I like the idea of academia that's you're pretty much free to research whatever you want. I mean, with an asterisk, whatever your funder wants you <laughs> uh, to look into. But I think this, I just really appreciate the academic freedom of following your interests and kind of following the science without necessarily the immediate um, financial um, goal. I mean, obviously, it's really nice to see that, that your research hopefully is helpful down the line and you're not just doing it because you're fancy piping a microliter into a, a tube. But um, yeah, for me, it's really, I, I like the idea of just having this freedom to research what's, yeah, where, where the research leads you really, or the virus leads you. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, so yeah, my plan A definitely is to stay in academia for as long as I can. Um, I hope I find something that permits me to stay longer. Um, ultimately, yeah, transitioning to group leader uh, will be the goal. Uh, but yeah, it's still a long way to go. <laughs> so great. Well, thanks so much for talking with us today, um, and uh, good luck with your with your work. And we look forward to hearing more about it. Thank you very much. <laughs> this has been Let's Meet the Virologist, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Thackright, and thanks for listening. You can find us on Google, Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, and other podcast providers, or at lmtv.podbean.com.